You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. So, in, in light of us celebrating our first Sunday here, I'm going to tell you kind of a secret. There is one reason we moved. This move hasn't been a little thing. It's been pretty difficult to move everything out of the theater last Sunday and move everything into this place this Sunday. Um, And even though we're a small congregation, right, this has been a taxing move for us. And some people, right now, some people might be knocking on the door of the movie theater trying to get into our gathering. Right? It's a big undertaking for our size church. Um, So why did we do this? Why have we as a church done this? And there's a lot of little reasons that all are under the umbrella of one big reason, and that reason is this, hospitality. Hospitality. Right, the theater had 500 seats. We had on-site storage. We, we could have stayed there for a really long time, but, but all of us felt collectively that the theater wasn't the most hospitable place for us to hold our Sunday gatherings. It was pretty hospitable, and I think we did an excellent job as a congregation welcoming people in, but we knew together that there was a way we could be more hospitable on Sunday. We wanted a space where everyone would feel welcome, a space that felt clean, and air conditioning would always be flowing, and there would be space for children that's not a bar, and it would be brighter, there would be sunlight coming in windows, and, and there would be parking, and there would be... Um, all these things, right? And I'm not saying, don't hear me wrong, I'm not saying that those things are necessary for the church to gather weekly. They're not necessary for the church to gather in the way that the Bible tells the church to gather, right? The Bible says that we should gather and preach the word of God, that we should worship God together, we should pray to God together, we should be generous with one another, We should practice the sacraments of communion and baptism as often as we can. So really, if we don't have those elements, um, or if we only have those elements, rather, we don't need anything else, right? We don't need air conditioning or toilet paper or lights, right? Because the Bible doesn't say we need them. But here's the thing. I want to make the case this morning that because the Bible does say that we should be a hospitable people, Jesus says that we should be a hospitable people, that we really do need to strive to have things that make us the most hospitable people that we can be. Right? We, we don't fully understand the kind of king that Jesus is if we aren't striving to be more and more and more hospitable with every day that passes. Hospitality as Christians is a natural and necessary component of how we live our lives. So as we discussed last week, we who follow Jesus have been given the Holy Spirit of God so that his presence would be seen and felt among us in this room, but also among our neighbors who we dwell among. And now I want to argue that one of the primary ways that the Holy Spirit ministers to us and through us to our neighbors is that... um, Within us, he cultivates a spirit of hospitality. 
So what is, God's, what is God in Jesus, right? Last week we saw that Jesus is God come to earth, made human in the flesh. What does he say about hospitality? Let's reread Luke 14 together. Um, this is a parable, and the context is this, that Jesus is dining at a house with some Pharisees um, who are the religious re- elite of the day, and Jesus notices who has been invited to the dinner and who has not been invited to the dinner. And he does a few short teachings, and this one is, is one of them, starting in verse 14, or in verse 12, he says this. He also said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a, ve- a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. So Jesus is saying something really important about our posture of hospitality. Right? He's saying that if we invite those who are unable to give back in any way, then that's then then we'll receive blessing at the resurrection. That will be that will be right that's a righteous thing to do to to invite those who can't repay us to our table those who have nothing to bring the the blind the crippled the lame the poor right so Jesus is saying something about our posture of hospitality what does hospitality mean and what should it look like and that really hospitality is to give and serve without any expectation of repayment And so the Pharisees, the people hearing this teaching of Jesus, this difficult teaching of Jesus, um, they're they're familiar with this different story in the Old Testament that I want to spend some time on this morning about a different king and another dinner table. And it's the story of King David, and it's in 2 Samuel 9. You can turn there if you want. Um, But in it, David is is ruling as king of Israel. So David is this king, and he's, he's won all of these victories on the battlefield against the old king Saul, who was an evil king and hated David and wanted to kill David. And, and David won. He won the victory, and now he rules and reigns as king. And, and one of the first things he does as king is he asks this question. David says this to one of the servants Ziba, he says, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? So Saul is the old king, the enemy. Jonathan is Saul's son. So he's saying, is there anyone left in the enemy's house that I can show kindness? And Ziba, the servant, says to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And David sent for him and brought him to the house, to, to his house. Um, his name is Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul. And he comes to David and falls on his face. And David said, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth answers, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all of the land of Saul, your father, my enemy, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And then King David called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. 
And you and your sons and your servants shall till the land for him and shall bring in the produce that your master's grandson may have bread to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson shall always eat at my table. And Ziba says to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son who he named, whose name was Micah. And all who lived in Ziba's house became Mephibosheth's servants. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he always ate at the king's table. So, this story is about a king's posture, right? King David has beaten his enemy Saul, and instead of, of simply wiping out the rest of his family, right, he, he does what? He invites in Mephibosheth, one who has nothing to offer. Not only has he been defeated, not only has his house been defeated, the kingdom has been, the, the line has been broken. There's a new king of Israel, but Mephibosheth is crippled. He can't, he can't even walk. So the posture of King David is this. He invites a poor and crippled grandson of his enemy into his kingdom. He restores his land, and he sets him an eternal place at his table. As long as you live, you will have a place at my table, is what King David says. A place of honor, value, and dignity. So this is super similar to Jesus' parable that we read, right? Jesus says, invite those in who cannot repay. Invite those in who don't have dignity, who don't have honor in our society. Invite them to the table. Give them honor. It was mind-boggling for any king to do when David did it. And it's difficult to hear and listen when Jesus says to do it and think, how can we do this? But David wasn't just any king, right? If you know the story written in First and Second Samuel in the Old Testament, David is the chosen king of the people of Israel. He's God's chosen king. And God chooses to use David throughout that book to display his glory and display his kindness. And ultimately, the Bible is going to show us that Jesus is a direct descendant of that king, David. But unlike David, Jesus isn't simply chosen by God. He is God. He is the son of the father, and he will produce, or, or he will prove to be a better king than David ever could have been. So what I want us to see in this story, in this parable, is that um, the story of the king and Mephibosheth is in part a story about us. Right? The king in the story, King David, is Jesus, our living king. And we are represented in the story by Mephibosheth, enemies of God, with nothing to bring, nothing to offer in our poverty. Right, Mephibosheth is crippled, and apart from God's redemptive grace, we are crippled in our inability to do anything good. Mephibosheth was the offspring of David's enemy Saul, and we are descendants of Adam, who rebelled and took side with God's enemy, Satan. 
and Mephibosheth had been given an invitation of honor, dignity, and worthiness at the king's table, an invitation full of redemption and restoration, and we right now are invited to be redeemed as well by a king, Jesus. In the parable of Jesus and in the story of David, there is a practical link for how we should live, but more importantly, there is a foreshadowing of what kind of king Jesus will be. And Philippians will tell us and outline for us that the king that Jesus is and was. It says, Jesus, even though he is God, he took the form of a servant and a human. And he took the form of obedience and service. And although he had all authority to rule as king with power, he became a servant instead and went to the cross and died to bear our shame, guilt, sin, and inability to do good. And this is what true hospitality looks like. Giving everything to those who have nothing to give. We had nothing to offer Jesus. We were enemies of God. And so all we can do is come and receive grace. Come and receive the truth that on the cross Jesus bore our sin and therefore made a way for us to be right with God. And yet that's not where the hospitality of Jesus ends. On the third day, Jesus rises again as a living, breathing human. The firstborn of the dead. In his resurrection, he's exalted by the Father. He ascends to the throne. So it turns out that that Kanye's new album is true. Jesus is king. Some of y'all are like, who? I don't know where you've been if you're like, who? Look at the top of the chart right now. It says, Jesus is king. Why does it say that? In part because it's true. Jesus is the true king. And in the true king fashion, he invites the people to share in his kingdom, to eat at his table, to feast with him. He has provided the bread and the wine, his body and blood himself. The king lives. Revelation 19, uh, excuse me, foretells of a great banquet with the king that is to come. It says this. This is, um, this is a prediction of what's going to come. It's a true thing that's going to happen. Let's, let's read it together. Revelation 19, 6. It says, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord, our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage, of the, the, the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready, ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who, inv- who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So, our future, brothers and sisters, in Christ is a dinner feast with the living, victorious King Jesus. Have you been to a wedding recently? Have you been married recently? Two of us in the room got married last night. Um, not us. I didn't. A wedding reflects this, right? A bride and a groom love one another and our only appropriate response and 
reaction is to celebrate and have a feast. So our future is a dinner feast between Jesus and the church, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And you are invited. Yeah. And many of you have accepted the invitation by following Jesus, submitting to him, and loving him. So, if the work of Jesus on the cross and his current reign as king display the hospitality of God, what is our call as Christians who follow him? Well, as a church, our call is to be hospitable. Jesus has invited us in so we can invite others in, right? That's the purpose of this move to the school, to be more hospitable and more welcoming than we were last week. And I pray that we always grow in that direction as a church and as a people, striving to be more hospitable and expecting nothing in return for those who might wander in on a Sunday. Your neighborhood parish gatherings or a place to display hospitality to one another, right? We share a meal weekly with each other. We get to bring food and serve one another. We can and should strive to outdo one another in hospitality and service. And the reason we work to multiply more neighborhood parishes is not so we can point to a bigger number, but, the, but that's so more people can be invited to a dinner table every week. And your individual life is an opportunity to display the eternal hospitality that's been displayed to you. That absolutely means opening your home and your life and your table to those in the church. And I pray that we are a church marked by that. A church that shares the table with one another, loving and serving each other. But, but not only will we, will we invite each other into our homes, but we have to... Invite our lost neighbors as well, right? Those who might have nothing to give us. Regardless of who they are and what their lifestyle choice is, we are called to invite them in and give them seats of honor, of dignity. We can show them who Jesus is by inviting them to our tables, by cooking for them, by sharing them with them a meal. And we make ourselves available to them in seasons of celebration and joy and in seasons of sorrow and confusion. And in the end, we extend hospitality by telling them who the king is and inviting them to the king's table where they could share in the inheritance reserved for the heirs of the kingdom. Listen, they don't deserve to sit at the king's table. But we don't deserve to sit at the king's table. Isn't the truth of that wonderful that we can say to our neighbors, we don't deserve to be here either, but here we are feasting on the body and blood of Jesus. Listen, I know um, there is an element of, of, of reality that we have to get out of our comfort zones to strive to be more hospitable. There are, there are plenty of nights where I, I feel like the last thing I want to do is have in some neighbors that I've only really waved to from across the street once in a while. I know that can be taxing, exhausting, uncomfortable, and awkward, but, but disciples of Jesus will be made at our dinner tables. Lives will be changed in your living room. 
Jesus isn't awkward or uncomfortable when he invites us in. He doesn't do it reluctantly. He doesn't do it worried about what might or might not be said. He invites you in right now just as you are to experience his love. And honestly, this group of people, Sojourn Montrose, six years old in one week as a church, I've seen y'all do this very well. I've seen lives changed in your living room. Some of you sitting here as the result of your life being changed. And just a few weeks ago, we had uh, a few members here, Stan and Gabby, who had a block party. And at the party, neighbor after neighbor came and confessed the isolation that they felt in our neighborhood and the desire to be known and know others. There was so much gratitude over simply being invited to meet each other. We have much more to offer than just burgers, but that's a great place to start. So, as we leave here this morning, my hope for us, surprisingly, isn't that we would just be more hospitable or that you'd leave being convinced that that's the next thing you need to add to your calendar. My hope is that you'd be captivated by the hospitality of the living King Jesus. That you would love him so much that from that love would flow a love for the people in our church and for the lost in our neighborhood. That you would be captivated so much that you would share all that you have with them and expect nothing in return. Because you understand that Jesus has shared everything with us. And we have nothing to give in return. So, if you learn nothing else this morning, remember and know this. God knows you. He delights in you right now. Jesus has set you a place at his table. The table of his body and his blood. The king of all things delights in you as part of his kingdom. You don't have to bring any wine to this feast. He brought it. You don't have to bring any bread. He brought it. You don't have to be good to get the invitation. You can't be good to get the invitation. You don't have to be good once you accept it. He just says, come if you're weary, and I will give you rest. And even then, he sends his spirit that will usher us in, teach us obedience, teach us to love his words and commandments, and to spread the invitation. So I want to invite you to rest in that this morning. Would your love for Jesus, because of who he is and what he has done, well up within you? Would that flow out into how you love each other in this room? And would we invite others in to receive the good news that we have, that we sit at the table of the living king, and there is a place for them there too? That's the message you have. There's no more important message in the world. So will we share it and believe it? Let's pray.